the good news of all this is that Jesus did come. The Savior came. Aren't you glad Jesus came? The one thing I think I've probably been struck with by more this year than, than I have in previous years is that the King, our King, the ruler of the universe is here. God with us, Emmanuel, He is with us. And as we talked about, um, that, 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 that He's come and He's come to, to fix everything. I mean, everything that was ever wrong, He's come to fix that. He's come to open our eyes to the truth. He's come to, to fulfill everything in the Bible. He's come to fulfill it. And He's come to die for us. I mean, that, if you listen to the words that He just sang, that's exactly the, the path that we, that we went down in that song, was that, that yes, He came as a child, but He came to die for us. This is all the good news of Christmas. Y- y'all know this? And I, tell, I hope I'm, as they say, preaching to the choir. That this is stuff you're like, yes, that's I believe that. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the, the heart of the gospel. This is cause for rejoicing. This is what the angels, remember the angels? Y'all know this Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. You know what the angels did? They came down and they, they talked to the shepherds that they're announcing the birth of Jesus and they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That, that, that's, whoo, that's good stuff. That's good. Yes. Peace. I want some peace in this world. I, I need some peace in my life. I've got too much chaos. I've got too much angst and conflict and people that are fighting me that I'm fighting them. And I, I just, I need some peace in my life. But I bring that all up because all as much everything I just said, I, I do not. I'm not going to put a but after that because everything I said is true, and I'm not going to trust it or take anything from it. I will say, and in addition to that, don't miss how Jesus talked later on in his ministry. I want to have you find your place in Matthew chapter 10. I'm just going to read one verse. We're going to look at the larger text here as we go through this morning, but I just want to look at one verse, verse 34. Look what he says. This is Jesus speaking. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I just want to take a few minutes and talk about that. Jesus said, or rather the angel said, peace on earth. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring sword. I just want to talk about that. That contrast feels like a contradiction. It's not, but it feels like a contradiction. I just want to talk about that for a few minutes. Would you pray with me as I ask the Lord to, to help us this morning? Lord, help me to preach your word to your people plain and pure. Help me to help them to understand. Help me to point them to Jesus, the one who was born as a baby, who died as a man, and who rules as king. I pray that they will leave this sanctuary with him in their mind's eye and their, their visions and their hearts. Would you please bring that to their attention so that they walk out of here with Jesus as their hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says he's not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, when he says a sword, he doesn't mean necessarily that he's come to, to arm everybody so we can overthrow anything. That's not necessarily what he's talking about. The idea of a sword that he brings up there is really noting the idea of division, cutting. You know, a sword does. It cuts. 
and bringing to, to come to, to bring division, to, 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 to set things at odds with each other. I can tell you, if I came at you with a sword, you wouldn't think I was coming at you to, to make peace with you. You'd think he's got other things on his mind. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm come to, to stir things up. I'm trying to cause division. There's a right and there's a wrong. There's a left and there's a right. There's two things going on there. He's saying, I'm not coming to bring the kind of peace we often think about when I say peace. In fact, in another place, it reminds me, another place Jesus says, they will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I think there's a kind of peace that we all want, which is, leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. That's what we think about peace. Jesus says, no, 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 I didn't ask, I'm not coming so you can do what you want to do. I have come to bring some peace there. That is true. But the kind of peace that he's bringing is not my peace. The key to all of this, and I hope I've made that clear as I've already said up to this point, but I want to say it very explicitly to you. The key to all of this is you have to understand something. Jesus is the king, not you. I'm not the king. I want to be the king. We're American. No, we're not American. We're American. We're American. And we... And we think we rule everything. I'm not just talking about the nation. I'm talking about individually. We think we're the ones in charge. And Jesus did not come to make America the best nation in the world. As good as it is. That's not what Jesus died for. He didn't, make, he didn't come to make you the individual ruler of your domain. He is king. The battle is over because He came. He died for you. And He rose victorious over death telling the grave for you. And through Jesus, you can, as Paul wrote in Romans 5, verse 1, have peace with God. Through Jesus. That's where that comes from. That's why Jesus has a name that is above every name. That's why Jesus is the name that, at which every knee will bow. That's why His name will be confessed by every tongue. Because He is Lord. He is. He is king. He's in charge with of everything. So I'm emphasizing that. I'm getting a little worked up about that because you have to understand who Jesus is so that you need to understand you need to make peace with Him. He's in charge. He's in control. There's only peace if there are those that make peace with Him by submitting to Him. You cannot make peace with this ruler by doing your own thing. Remember who's king? Not you. You are the deposed dictator. You are no longer king. He is the king. So if there is to be peace at all, it is when you make peace with him by submitting to him. The insurgents, the rebels, the, the opposition will never have peace with him. I want to remind you of a story in the Old Testament that gives you this just gets in your mind. You know King David and King Saul. You don't know these two kings from the Old Testament. Pretty, pretty well known from, from uh, Israel's history. King Saul was, of course, king first, and David was later put in, was anointed king by God. God actually said, I want you to be king, and I don't want Saul to be king anymore. Saul didn't get that memo, or at least he didn't take that memo until a little bit later. He held on for a little bit. But finally, what ends up happening is that Saul gets killed in battle, and his son gets killed in battle. Now, we understand that God knows what he's doing. God's in control of all that, and God had already made David king well before this. But from a human perspective, David wasn't ever even considered to be the king by the majority of the nation until Saul died. That's just how they thought about these things. 
But the minute they saw that, and everybody recognized, hang on a minute, David's king. And not only is David king, David and Saul didn't really get along together very well. I can just tell you right now, you go to, if you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 4, you would see this. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Paul's life was not a very happy life. If you were part of Saul's family, and you were in the palace at that time, and you know that David's coming to take over, you're shaking in your boots. In fact, so much so, there's, a, there's one young woman who has a child, whose name is Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is a baby at the time, and in the rush to get out of the, out of the palace, she drops her baby and hurts the little baby so much so that he's actually crippled for the rest of his life. He's not able to use his legs for the rest of his life because of that injury that happened. I'm just telling you that story to tell you that whenever the new king takes over, if you're on the other side, you don't want the new king to take over, you're going to run to the hills. That's what Saul's family did. Mephibosheth, after his, he grew up and he was a man who was not able to get around. In fact, he goes off into hiding for years and years and years because he knew, based on the way that the ancient world would have worked, that the new king is going to come and he's not going to be nice to him. He's not going to be sweet to him. He is actually going to take his life. That would be the natural order of things. So the point I'm trying to get you to see is that Jesus is king, and now we're in Matthew chapter 10. You need to understand what's going on in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is sending his disciples out. In the first few verses of chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out on a mission. This is a this is a uh, an announcement tour. This is a whistle stop tour where he's saying, "I want you all to go out everywhere and let everybody know in so many words the king is here." That's what he's doing. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. The king is here. That's what I want you to share. And, and what he's doing in this passage, and rather in this chapter, is he is giving the disciples a little bit of a pep talk. He's saying, guys, I want you to go out and tell everybody that I'm here, that I'm the king, and the king has come. I want you to let everybody know that we're here, but not everybody's going to like that message. There's going to be some people that are going to be upset about that message. There's going to be some people who are loyal to the other king. It could be the Roman king. It could have been the king of self, the king of anything other than King Jesus. But there's going to be people who are loyal to another king. But what Jesus is doing is the same thing that Victorious kings and victorious generals have done for centuries before this. You know what he's doing? He's coming in and doing a victory lap. He's letting everybody know, hey, I'm in charge, I'm here. I'm in charge, I'm here. There, there's a passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's verse 15 and 16. And he says that, he's talking about Christians, and he says, we are, we, we are sweet savor to Christ, so we smell good to Christ. Sounds, sounds strange, right? But, but that's true. We smell good to Jesus. He likes it. It's a good thing. That same scent that we give off as Christians, hang with me for a second, I'm going to moment connect this here. That same scent that we give off as Christians, he says to some people that is the scent of death, and to some people that's the scent of life. Y'all with me so far? You got that? But the reason he's bringing that up is the same thing that the Roman generals would do when they came back from a victory campaign. They would burn incense in, the, in the, this parade. They'd be going to a parade and they'd have this incense. And that incense would give off a scent. It would be from an from a objective, kind of neutral perspective. It'd smell okay, smell good, right? But here's what he's getting across. If you're standing on that parade route and you have just been conquered by that general, you smell that incense, that's the stinkingest mess you ever smelled in your life. 
that joker just killed my family. That joker just took over my nation. And I'm sitting here plotting ways to take him over. You follow that? On the other hand, if you're one of the people that thinks that general is the best thing since sliced bread and he's the best thing in the world, what are you doing? Yeah, that stuff smells good. That smells like That's what you're thinking. That's exactly how these people are doing. Now, what I'm trying to get you to see here is regardless of whether you came down on for the general or against the general, who won? Who won? Did you win? The general won. Did y'all know that? The general won. Are y'all awake this morning? Or am I just doing a bad job explaining this? Well, I don't know which one it is. Whichever way it is. Y'all wake up and I'll do better. How's that? Meet you in the middle. The point I'm trying to get you to see is it doesn't matter which way you thought about this. The fact remains, the general won. And the point he's, well, I want you to see here is that no matter what you think about Jesus, and I hope you love him, I hope he's your Savior, but no matter what you think about it, no matter how you treat him, the fact remains... One thing is for sure, He's King and He's Lord. And He has not come, please understand this, that Jesus has not come to make you happy. He didn't come to make you comfortable. He definitely didn't come to pat you on the head and say, whatever you've been doing, just keep on doing it because I'm okay with it. He's not come to do that. He has come to say, I am coming to Stir things up. I'm coming to force your hand. I'm coming to demand that you pick a side. You're either for me or you're not for me. One or the other. You need to show your true colors. Who do you stand for? Who are you with? Where are you? Where do you come out? He didn't come to make peace with you. He is the Prince of Peace imposing His peace on the world. And this is an important thing that we need to understand. So I'm just going to go ahead and start the rest of my note, uh, rest of my talk to you is about the fact that Jesus is Lord. Are y'all with me on that? Can y'all say at least say amen? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's who He is. That's where we're going to start. And because He is Lord, you can do with Jesus what you want to, but you're going to either say, I'm for Him or against Him. He's still Lord, whichever way you go. So He's Lord because of that. It is in your best interest, Christian unbeliever, person listening to me this morning, it is in your best interest, first of all, to identify with Jesus. He's Lord, it's best to identify. I want you to see this in chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus says here to his disciples, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. He uses the word confess, which has a connotation of, of using your mouth to say some things. But I think that the broader implication here is whether it's your words or your deeds or both together, quite honestly, it should be both together. But whichever way it is, we're clearly identifying ourselves as one of His. He says, if you will, when you're walking among your, walking in this world, you will let it be known by what you say and the way you live that you're one of my people, you're one of Jesus' followers. If you'll let that be known, He says, I'll give you one better. When I'm in heaven, when you're in heaven with me, and I'm coming before the Father, I'm going to say, He's one of mine. That's what He's saying. He says, if you'll do that, if you'll, can, you'll clearly identify yourself as one of mine, I'll clearly identify you as one of mine. You see how that works? That's what Jesus is saying. But He says in verse 33, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. He says, if you disown me, if you disavow me, if you're trying to show there's something different between you and me, 
Don't be surprised when I do the same thing whenever it's time to face the final judgment. Remember Peter? He's a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is Jesus' whole ministry. But in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is on trial. And Peter's outside of that trial as it's going on, milling about. Probably, I'm not sure all what he's doing there. He's just kind of waiting and watching to see what's going to happen. And it was clear that he had lived a life and he had, people had seen him walking with Jesus. And there was clearly something about Peter that made people say, here's one of Jesus' followers. And maybe even some of the things that Peter was saying was giving that away as well. I mean, somebody comes up to him and says, you've got to be one of Jesus' followers. And he says, no, you've got the wrong guy. He does that three times. He denies the Lord three times. And of course, that rooster crows on that third time, letting him know, hey, buddy, you messed up. On the other hand, I want to take you to the end of Peter's life. That was, in my, my, in my view, sort of early in Peter's ministry. But at the end of Peter's life, history tells us that he's so identified with Jesus that they said, you're going to be killed because you, you identify with Jesus. But we're, going to be, we're not going to just kill you. We're actually going to kill you in the same manner that your Savior died. They literally put him on a cross, and by his own asking and recommendation, he said, I can't do exactly what my Savior did. Could you just turn me upside down so I can still let him have the preeminence? Here's a man who went from Denying the Savior is closely identifying with the Savior. I'm going to you that the Savior had no problem saying, He's one of mine. He's one of mine. My question to you as you're listening to this, hearing what the Lord has to say, what does your relationship with the Lord reflect about? Your identification, rather your identification is the way we say about your relationship. Are you more concerned with how people think about you or what they say about you than what He will say in that last day? Are you more focused on identifying yourself with some group of people, maybe people that think like you do, have similar political beliefs as you do, or, or, or dress or talk or act like you do, or, or go to the same social groups and social clubs as you do? Are you more concerned about identifying with a group of people that you like or that you look like than you are with identifying with Jesus, even if nobody comes with you? It's like the song says, that I have decided to follow Jesus Though none go with me, still I will follow. Are you more concerned with Jesus being on your side? You know, Jesus likes what I'm doing. Jesus is okay with what I'm doing. Then you would be with aligning with Jesus no matter what, even if it means having to repudiate, be repentant of things that you like, things that you love. Which one is it? Which one is it? So Jesus is Lord, we need to identify with Him. Second of all, Jesus is Lord, and as such, it's in our best interest to prioritize Him over everything else. You can see this in verse 35. He says that I'm not come, I am come, rather, to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The point here, this idea of setting at variance, is not so much that Jesus is trying to cause fights, if y'all have been to Christmas this year, you probably know that some of those fights can spontaneously happen. 
uh, without the Lord's intervention at all. So Jesus doesn't have to start a fight for the fight to be there. Less about the fight itself, it's much about much more about prioritizing. Jesus needs to become first before everything else, before family, for sure, before political opinion, before any tradition that you have, even a good tradition, religious tradition, or, or otherwise, and before our own desires. In fact, if we follow Jesus, there will be fights that come. One, one thought I, I've had for years is you know, a lot of times we get involved in these what we call the culture wars, you know what I'm talking about? These cultural things that we fight about. And a lot of times they're good things, I, just, they're good things to, I, I believe they're good things to take a stand on, but I think a lot of times we, we fight about these things and we create wars where we don't need them. I, I've always been of the mindset that says, if we'll do right and stand for what's right, I think the fight will come to our front door. We don't have to go looking for it. That's just, I think that's how this works. We're not stuck there and fight for these things. We simply need to do what's right and stand for what's right, and it will be. It will. It will fight. Will come to us. He says in verse thirty-six that the foe, man's foes, shall be they of his own household. Those that are closest to us, if we stand with the Lord, we prioritize Him first. He, they, those that are closest to us, will probably be those who oppose us the most. And I don't know of anybody that's closer to me than me. Can I put it to you this way? If you read the Bible and take it honestly and take it seriously, especially listen to some of the things Jesus says, and there's like the red word, you listen to what he says. I'm not saying don't listen to that. I'm saying all of it, but especially those. You listen to what he says. When I believe it, it hurts my feelings. I have to. What I want to do is one of two things. I want to either explain it away, oh, he didn't really mean it like that. Or I try to ignore it. Let me read this other part that I like. I want you to understand that if, if when you read Jesus, you listen to what he says, if he doesn't chafe against you just a little bit, I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're worshiping Jesus. I think you're worshiping a God that looks a whole lot like you. And that hurts my feelings. Let me tell you, I like me a whole lot. And everything I ever think of is the best thing that ever came out of anybody's mouth. I, I just, I'm just brilliant in my own mind. Aren't y'all like that too? We're all so smart and so just up and spiritual. Woo, we're so spiritual. You ain't never met somebody that knows God like I know God. If you can't say amen, go ahead and say out. The reason I say this is because we like us. But Jesus says, I'm not wanting you to make peace with yourself. I want you to prioritize me over your own beliefs and your own opinion. You, you've got to take what you believe and put it off to the side and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. He's worthy. And if he is worthy, and I believe he is, what I'm going to do is every time and twice on Sunday, I'm going to side with Jesus even against myself and against my family and against my co-workers and against my, my community. I'm going to side with Jesus no matter what because that's what it means to honor him. He says there in verse 37 that he that loveth father or mother more than me, prioritizing them over me, is not worthy of me. And I want you to know Jesus is worthy of everything. 
He is worthy of all, so we need to put everything else. We can't love son or daughter more than him, he says. We have to prioritize him above all, because this is what makes the gospel such good news. Jesus is right. Jesus is true. Jesus is always right. No matter what, he's right, and we can believe him, and we can obey him, and we can follow him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do that. He is worthy. He is the Lord. We have to prioritize Him. Third of all, because Jesus is Lord, we also need to follow Him. We can see this in verse 38 and 39. Jesus says, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He goes on to say in verse 39 that he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life shall not, for my sake, shall find it. When you follow Jesus, I think we get a, mis- get a misconception of what following Jesus means. Let's, if, if, I, if we were to leave here today and let's say we were going to, I don't know, go to a restaurant this afternoon, we all going to do that maybe, and if you would say, let's go to the restaurant. you say, follow me. I, I know how to do that, right? I just get behind you and just watch the car and go with you, right? We know how to do that. But when they follow Jesus, we're like, yeah, I follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm going to follow Jesus. I follow just what I'm supposed to do. You know what following Jesus means? The same thing it means following you to the car to the restaurant. I need to do exactly what you do. I need to go exactly where you go. I need to follow your every step. That's what it means. In other words, to follow Jesus is always going to involve your obedience to Christ. That's what it always involves. Jesus commands us in verse 38 to take up our cross. There's a, there's a lot of meaning behind that, but I want to get to this, this root idea that he's going to ask you to do some hard things. That's, I, 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 there's no two ways about it. Taking up a cross is not an easy thing. It's heavy. At the end of it means you're going to die. You know that when you pick it up. You've probably been beaten before you picked it up. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going into it, but I can just tell you, at its root, it's a hard thing. And what Jesus is going to do is going to ask you to do some hard things. He's going to ask you, if you go to Matthew 18, He's going to ask you to forgive people. Even people that have done wrong against you. He's going to ask you, as He did that woman who was caught into adultery, He's going to forgive, but He says to her, go and sin no more. He's going to ask you that sin that He died for, that He paid, so you don't have to go to hell and pay for it. He wants you to stop that. Stop it. That's what He's going to ask you to do. In Hebrews, he talks about Hebrews 12. He talks about laying aside these weights that beset us. There's going to be some things that that are making it so you can't serve the Lord, that you can't obey other parts of Scripture, so you can't make it to a church service. You can't pray like you ought to. You can't read the Word of God like you ought to. Your your mouth doesn't run like it ought to. Those things that are getting in the way of you doing what God wants you to do, he says you might need to just put them off to the side a little bit. That's a hard thing. He actually says in another place that there are things that offend, that, that rather, things that, uh, offend your brother, things that hurt him, that stop him from serving the Lord like he ought to. They might not even be wrong, but you need to quit them. That's hard. I, I, that, I don't like that. I'm a man, remember, I'm an American. I get to do what I want to do. My freedom, liberty. Wait a minute. What about what Jesus tells us? I'm not a follower of the flag. I'm a follower of Jesus. That is who I'm a follower of. Jesus commands that we 
take on these things that seem heavy and seem hard, but know that He is our Lord. He says in another place, my burden is light. Wow. That's His word. I'm going to brag on myself just a minute. Y'all take this. I hope y'all know this by now, but I sure do love Vanessa Chili. She's my wife, by the way, in case I didn't know that. Uh, that's my wife. I love my wife. How's that? Y'all know who that is. Uh, I sure do love Vanessa Chili. And she tells me to do some of the things, the hardest things, things I don't want to do. But because she looks at me real sweet and says, could you do that? I'll do anything she asks me to do. I do some stuff that I'm surprised I do. Because she asked me to do it, because she's worth it. That's just a small, silly example, but if Jesus is really worth it to you, if he asks you to do it, why is it so hard? Yeah, I know it's hard, because our flesh is weak and, and we're sinful. I get all that, but it's hard. But if Jesus is good, it ain't that hard. If Jesus is Lord, it's not that hard. Why don't we, why don't we just do it? If He's worthy, I will look for ways to obey Him instead of doing what I often do and say, well, is it okay if I... Don't the Bible say, can I do this or can I do that? Instead of doing that, I'll actually go and say, will God be honored if I do this? Will God be glorified? I, I think, can I just go ahead and tell you, I get sick of it. And I'm, I, I don't mean to be ugly, but I'm going to get ugly this day. I get sick of people asking me, is it wrong for me to do this, that, or the other thing? When the Bible, a lot of times, a lot of the things that tell me, the Bible tells me that's wrong. That's one thing. But the second thing is, you're asking the wrong question. If you're a believer, if Jesus died for your sins, why don't you ask, does God want me to do this? Because there's some good stuff you're doing that ain't wrong, but you might need to stop it because the Lord wants you to do something else. There's some good things you're not doing that I, the Bible doesn't tell you you have to do. Can I just give you an example? Like giving to the Lottie Moon offering. There ain't a thing in the Bible about giving to Lottie Moon. You won't find a page. You won't find a verse. You won't find a thing about it. There's a million ways you could give to international missions. There are. But it might well be, and I'm not God, so God's got to talk to you, but it might well be that the Lord wants you to write a little extra check for the Lottie Moon offering and go into the, the offering plate next Sunday. That might well be what He wants you to do. And you know what? You can come to me and say, preacher, where is it saying in the Bible? I have to give so much to Lottie It doesn't. It doesn't. You're missing the point that you need to follow Jesus and do what He tells you to do. Sometimes it means do good things that you wouldn't do on your own. Sometimes it means stop doing good things that just get in the way. But you're following Jesus. You're following Jesus. You're trying to glorify Him. All of that is to say that the King has come. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has every right to destroy us for the things that we have done to be, we have been insurrectionists to His throne. He has every right to put us down like scum. He does. But you know what He does? Remember that story about Mephibosheth? Y'all remember that guy? His mama drops him, and his legs get messed up, and he's not able to walk for the rest of his life. He's hiding way off somewhere in this place called Lodabar. Way off in the middle of nowhere. And he's hiding because he knows just the way that the world works that the king has every right to come and kill him and nobody would even blink an eye. 
he's hiding off in a hole somewhere, got nothing, can, nobody can help him, he's just, he's just doing nothing. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David, who has every right to kill Mephibosheth, he comes looking for Mephibosheth. He actually asks if there's not anybody that I can go and find, not to kill him, but to show mercy to the house of Saul. He goes and he finds Mephibosheth and he pulls him out of that, that, that place and he actually brings him into his own palace, sits him at his table, feeds him, and for the rest of his life he's taken care of just like he's a king's son. That's what David did. Now he's a man and David's got his problems if you know about David's past, but he is a reflection of Jesus in this moment. This is what Jesus the King does. He did not come to find you and put you in the pit of hell like you deserve. What he did is he came and he says, I, I gotta find some people here. I'm gonna pick them up and I'm gonna put them at my table, I'm gonna make them my children. He's gonna love you. He's gonna take care of you. Oh my goodness, why do you continue to live that? Why do we fight against him? Why do we tell him no? Why do we act like he's got to earn something with us? The question is not whether or not he is Lord. He is Lord. The question is, whose side are you on? And as you stand, I'm going to invite you to pray with me about what we just heard. Which side are you on? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you following Him? Is He the priority in your life? Are you publicly identifying yourself with Him? Is that where you are? I hope it is. Lord, please move among your people. We thank you for your grace. You owe us nothing, but you've given us everything. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness and your grace. But Lord, we're going to ask you one more time, please forgive us. We've not treated you like the Lord that you are. We have tried to continue to remain in control. We've tried to continue to run our lives like we've run. We wanted you to come and give us peace in a manger so that we could just leave you in a manger. So that you're no threat to us. So Lord, help us to repent of that. I'm asking you in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ.